that their play on the field put them toward the back of the line. Kaiser doesn't see him. Ball is out. There always seems to be one team further behind. Welcome to the Brown Notes Podcast, where we let them rip on the Cleveland Browns. This is Rico. Scott, I don't know, I think he's in the Serengeti hunting antelope or something, I'm not really sure, but he'll be back next time. Uh, so you just got you just got me today. Um, so yeah, um, Baltimore has made it, made the path clear now for what was already the right thing to do with regard to how Cleveland approaches the final game of the season. Um, listen, folks, uh, bef- and before we get into it, I just want to say this one thing real quick about Lamar Jackson. Um, that he's he's What he's doing right now is what I feared most from him, actually. Um, in Up until now, you know, he's already won an MVP. Um, he's, you know, been to the playoffs. He's an elite quarterback, but he's been a run. Well, I mean, he's his over the years his past his his pocket abilities have gradually been improving and improving. And and what he did today has he he is, in my opinion, he is now a pocket quarterback who can run instead of a running quarterback who can throw. That's he came out of Louisville, a running quarterback who could throw, and folks, he's made the transformation. And I've said this from the jump that the quarterbacks who win Super Bowls are the ones who are pocket quarterbacks who, if they have mobility, use their mobility to reinforce them demolishing you with their arm, which is exactly what he did today. He is a he is a pocket quarterback who can move around now. And that's what makes him ridiculously more dangerous than he ever has been in the past. He is the MVP. I hate to say it. You have to recognize the game and his game is freaking elite, ladies and gentlemen. But we'll get to how that affects Cleveland here in a second. There's a couple other things on the docket that I want to get out of the way first before we we talk about next week in Cincinnati in the playoffs. Um, First things first, uh, there's so much Joe Flacco discussion going on right now, and let me just say this. Um, I have no idea what the hell I'm witnessing. Um, I've been trying to figure it out for a few weeks now. Uh, What he did against the number two passing defense in the NFL. Okay, I know that the last few weeks they haven't been quite as good, but regardless, they haven't given up 250 yards passing in about 150 years, and he put up 296 and three tutties in the first half. He's a fucking alien. I'm done trying to figure it out. 
I'm just going to enjoy it because I, I don't know that, like I've mentioned this before, lightning in the bottle, it's lightning in the bottle. And when you have lightning in the bottle, you don't try and figure out how the lightning got into the bottle. You just enjoy the fact that you have it. And so I'm done trying to fucking figure it out other than I think he's an alien from another universe. Um, so enjoy. Uh, hopefully you can keep it going. Um, and, and hopefully that lightning in the bottle lasts for as long as possible. Um, but yeah, enjoy ladies and gentlemen, because it's, it's something pretty special. Um, the, the, uh, second on my list is the coach of the year discussion, I think is pretty much wrapped up. Um, did the referees yesterday steal the coach of the year award from Dan Campbell? Hmm, that's an interesting question because, you know, did the lineman check in and make him and report himself eligible? Did he not? There's video evidence. There's all kinds of discussion about what happened and what didn't happen. Um, it's pretty much irrelevant right now. You know, the entire refereeing team from that game could do a press conference right now and say, hey, we fucked up. Yeah, he reported, but we missed it. It's not going to change the outcome. Detroit still lost the game. They had two shots to make it right and to overcome that obstacle um, after that, and they weren't able to follow through on it. But I can say this, had they actually... And, and they could have they had every chance in the world to win that game. I get it why he didn't want to go to overtime. I understand. Um, but had they actually pulled that off, beat Dallas in Dallas, um, yeah, you could have made a pretty strong argument that Dan Campbell is the coach of the year. If, if, if he would have wound up with it from beating Dallas yesterday – you couldn't have gotten any valid arguments out of anybody. But as it stands, he didn't beat Dallas. He had two shots to overcome that penalty from the ineligible receiver. Didn't do it. Point is, Kevin Stefanski, this is a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. He is your coach of the year. I, I can't see it going any other way, and I don't think any of you see it going any other way either. Um, so congratulations. I'm just going to say it right now. This guy... You have to, and I, you, you all know what Scott and I have said. You know, even last year, we wanted him fired. I mean, and there was a lot of people who wanted him fired. But I've come full circle. You have to recognize what this guy, the worth of this guy, and Andrew Berry too. They've got to lock these two guys up um, for for a while um, because they they really really deserve it. They both of those guys have done a superb job with with the wrinkles that they've had to traverse uh, this season. So, um, yeah, in my opinion, Kevin Stefanski, coach of the year, I think that's pretty obvious at this point in time. Um, now, the here, here, couple other ones that, that I have uh, some opinions on. Defensive player of the year. This one's a mm, little more tricky, guys, because um, – it depends on what you're looking for. The writers vote for defensive player of the year. And you know, it, you know, on, on one hand, you've got all the advanced nerdy statistics that all clearly point to Miles Garrett being defensive player of the year, you know, uh, win rate, 
uh, all those, I don't even know what they all, they all have acronyms and um, percentages and all this other jazz, but if you look at all the advanced statistics with regard to Miles Garrett's performance this season, he is clearly the defensive player of the year. He has been dominant from that point of view, but the writers vote on defensive player of the year and the general populace um, which is who the writers cater to. We, they all like flashy statistics like sacks and tackles. And, you know, he's not leading the league in sacks. And there's a couple of other categories that I believe T.J. Watt is actually have uh, leading leading in, like, I think, uh, tackles. I don't know. There's a few ca of the really flashy, um, user-friendly stats that that we all like to hang on to that he's not number one in um that some people will say well how can you give him defensive player of the year when he's not leading the league in sacks well I, again it depends on what the what the writers are looking for and the writers are the ones that vote on it and the writers cater to the public and the public like flashy stats so honestly i have no idea which way it's going to go um Depends on how you look at it. From the nerdy stat angle, he really, really, really deserves it. And from the flashy user-friendly stat, he, he doesn't because he's not leading in those categories. So it's going to be really, really interesting to see how this plays out. Uh, right now, as of the recording of this podcast, which is uh, Sunday afternoon, um, he is... Las Vegas has him as the favorite for defensive player of the year. He's the only one that is minus right now. I think he's minus 250. Uh, but, you know, there's something to be said for Vegas odds. Obviously, historically, we all know this, but they don't vote on it. So, although he is a clear favorite in Vegas, doesn't mean he's actually going to win it. Do I want him to win it? I kind of do want him to just get this shit out of the way because it's been looming over his head and everybody else's head in Cleveland with regard to fans and all that other it's been it's been like that it's been his white whale he's like Captain Ahab and his white whale has been defensive player of the year and I just want him to get this one out of the fucking way so we can all move on with our lives think I've said that before. Um, so yeah, I, I clearly am a Browns fan. I want him to win it, but I, I, I want him to win it so that we can stop talking about it, if that makes sense. I'll be super happy if he wins it, but then we can all move on, which is great. Uh, here's another interesting one that I've been thinking about too. Comeback player of the year. I know this has been talked about. Joe Flacco, should he get comeback player of the year? He's, he's played, what, five games? Can, can somebody who plays five games win comeback player of the year? Everybody thinks DeMar Hamlin's going to win it, but I think he's only played like one game. Yes, the guy was dead on the field. Okay, let's just say what it is. His heart, was, his heart had stopped beating on the field. He got brought back to life on the field and is now in uniform and has actually played a game. But he's only played one game. Does that make him comeback player of the year? Man, I guess from a certain point of view, you could say it's made him comeback player of the year. But, you know, we still have a game left. Uh, and we'll get to that. But, uh, you know, because Baltimore won the final game of the season from a lot of respects, is 
is meaningless and the season is really ending today and again i'll get to that but comeback player of the year man if if it's not if it's not demar hamlin i think even though joe flacco has only played five games holy christ it, we, we've all heard the story a billion times. The guy a month, a month, almost a month and a half ago was sitting on his couch watching TV, driving his, driving his kids to school and throwing passes in the backyard to his dad and brother. And now he's doing all the alien shit on the field that I had mentioned before that I'm going to stop trying to figure out. So again, it just depends on what they're looking for. I mean, are people going to be pissed? If Demar Hamlin doesn't get it, simply because of the circumstances, I guess. But if Joe Flacco is eligible for comeback player of the year, I don't see how you don't consider him because of what he's doing. I mean, sure, there's been plenty of other backup quarterbacks who have been doing well, like the cat from Cincinnati has been doing really well. But he's been there for several years, and he's been in the system. Um, well, Levis from Tennessee has been doing really well, but he's he's was on the team the entire year, and he's not j- just didn't just show up out of nowhere, um, and, and just perform like he hadn't missed this, perform like Joe Flacco. Okay, he's been in the system the entire season, and there's been other backups who have played well too, but all those guys have been in the system and and have a little bit of a different circumstance than Joe Flacco. So you can't say, well, other backups have been playing well too, so what makes him so special? But, but we've already talked about what makes what he's doing special. So if we can put the DeMar Hamlin stuff aside, him just getting a helmet back on and, and playing a game is super awesome. I mean, that is amazing um, that he went from where he was to actually playing this year. That's amazing, and I couldn't be happier that he has come all the way back from that. But does that make him comeback player of the year? Not after playing just one game. I'm sorry, but I I just don't see it. In my opinion, if Joe Flacco is is eligible to be considered for that award, he's got to get it. I don't see how it could be any other way. Um, okay, so now that we've gotten that stuff out of the way, let's, where, where do we go from here? Um, I can say, in, in my opinion, Baltimore beating Miami today has really made things a lot easier for Cleveland to do what was already going to be the correct thing. Even if Miami had beaten Baltimore, um... I still think that Cleveland, the right thing to do would have been to rest your starters against Cincinnati, even if Baltimore would have lost. Here's why. Everybody knows the saying, a bird in hand is worth two in the bush, right? Um, It's the same thing as why good quarterbacks are good because they take what's given to them and they don't try to force things. Sure, if you try to force a throw down the field, it could possibly turn into a big play or the two in the bush is certainly worth more than the one in hand, but there's a risk there. I have this one in hand and that's sometimes better than the 
possibility of having two. And if I'm a really good quarterback, taking what's given to me often is better than possibly getting a big play, but the percentages are super low and I have to force it and there's more chances of something bad happening. The point is, if Miami would have beaten Baltimore, Cleveland would have been, there would have been a lot of pressure on Cleveland to play all their, uh, what few starters they have left against Cincinnati. They're already super fucking beat up. They're they're down another. They're down a wide receiver now. Amari Cooper still has the heel. We don't know if he, how healthy he would have been to play against Cincinnati. You've got all the other injuries that we've talked about a million times, and now they're going to limp into Cincinnati and try and win that game, which they likely would have with the starters because of as well as they've been playing. But now. You're you're limping into Cincinnati. There's pressure to win that game, and now you're going right into the playoffs um, without any rest. And the only way you you would have gotten a rest down that path is if Baltimore would have let's let's say Miami beat Baltimore today. Okay, so then. Miami also has to lose against Buffalo, and ba- and Baltimore also would have had to have lost against Pittsburgh, which is super highly unlikely because Pittsburgh is not nearly as good as Miami, and, and Baltimore would have been ridiculously motivated to go into Pittsburgh to win that last game because they have a lot at stake with that. So the chant, my point is, all of those things would have had to have played out like a two in the bush. And it just wouldn't be worth it, is my point. It's not worth it. So even if Miami would have beaten Baltimore, trying to go down that path and get the two in the bush instead of the one in hand would not have been worth it because there would have been way more chance. You're going into the playoffs even more injured than you are now. You're not going to get that rest that you really, really, really need. And the chances of you going one and out or not making any kind of a run in the playoffs would have been really high. Now, Baltimore won. So now the path is super clear. Now you can go into Cincinnati and play a bunch of practice squad people and sit the five starters that you have left, get people that extra time to rest up, and then you're going into the playoffs as fresh as you possibly can be, relatively speaking, because they still have a lot of injured people. But that gives you a much, much better chance of being successful in the playoffs because you're rested and you've had a chance. Now, Amari Cooper will go into the playoffs healthy. You could get, um, you might even get Elijah Moore back depending on how bad the concussion is. I know it looked pretty bad, but there's a, a decent chance you could have him back. Um, Joel Batonio is going to be rested. All the guys that need rest, Juan Thornhill came back, but he could use the... There's a giant list of people that probably could play against Cincinnati, but could really, 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 really use that extra rest and are only going to benefit from it. Now, there is a school of thought that says... Wow, well, if you rest all your starters against Cincinnati, then doesn't that kill your momentum going into the playoffs? Well, the Browns have spent the entire season at you know at this point in time being ready to be ready. They've learned that 
you have no idea what's going to happen and you have to be prepared to overcome an obstacle and i think and this maybe is a different discussion i think the thing that really was the light bulb moment for kevin stefanski and everybody else was the first baltimore game because the way that all went down with Deshaun Watson was telling everybody he was going to play and Stefanski trusted him. And then at the last minute, Deshaun said he couldn't play. And what happened? He said he couldn't play the day of the game, an hour and a half before the game. So what happened? Kevin Stefanski was caught with his pants down, unprepared. DTR admitted that he wasn't prepared. So everybody was caught with their pants down. And I think that was that was at that moment, and again, this could be a bigger discussion, but my point is I think at that point in time, I think the light bulb came on with regard to you have to be ready for anything because they 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 weren't ready for that, and they failed miserably. They got their asses whipped because they weren't ready for anything. They assumed the, a certain path was the path everybody was going to go down, and they weren't ready to, to go down another path. And so they've spent the rest of the season being ready for anything. And I think now that they know that they can rest their guys, they're going to, they're, they've spent the whole season being ready and being resilient. And so resting your starters against Cincinnati is not going to kill their momentum. It's just going to get them rested and even more ready for the playoffs because they've already demonstrated the resiliency. So that's, in my opinion, is going to be a non-issue. And if Kevin Stefanski just continues to do what he's already done the entire season after that Baltimore first Baltimore game, then the team's going to be ready. They're going to be fresh. They're going to be pumped. And I think this, the Browns are going to benefit more by rest, by, by resting their players against Cincinnati than if they would have had the pressure to go in and beat Cincinnati and not have a break and just go right into the playoffs injured and tired and uh, and broken really um it would have been much harder for them now it's not to say that they couldn't make a run out of it but now that they're gonna have an extra week to rest there's going to be more of that percentage in their favor that they're going to be able to make a long run so so um the fact that baltimore is gonna lock everything up they've made it really easy for everybody and the fact and and again i go back to what i was talking about earlier coach of the year defense player of the year comeback player of the year baltimore winning today really has ended the season after this week next week is really kind of pointless for everybody because miami's position is solidified Baltimore's position is solidified. Cleveland's position is solidified. There's going to be a lot of games that that don't matter, um, in my opinion, anyway. So, um, Kevin Stefanski, Coach of the Year. Miles Garrett, maybe Defensive Player of the Year, depending on what point of view you're looking at. Same with Comeback Player of the Year. Some people are going to want to give it to Demar Hamlin. Some people are, are are going to want to give it to Joe Flacco if he's eligible. I think Joe Flacco should get it. Demar Hamlin's a great story, but he only played one game. Um, um, and and finally, resting next week against Cincinnati is absolutely the right thing to do. And don't be worried about 
it killing any momentum because the Browns have made a clinic this season out of being resilient. And it's not even, you're not even being resilient after having an extra week of rest. It's only going to give you more resiliency and more preparation. So this is actually a good thing, ladies and gentlemen, that they're going to be able to rest of their uh, what few starters they have left let's hope d hop can come back let's hope uh cory bajorquez can come back um let's hope we can get elijah moore back uh i i'm hoping coop coops heel will be ready to go this is a good thing this them getting this extra week of rest i'm kind of glad i'm glad things played out the way that it, it would have been nice to lock up the division and and maybe even get you know the number one seed that would have been the uh, the other okay scenario as if they would have gotten the number one seed and then they would have gotten that bye week that rest week but the chances of them getting that that's that two in the bush the chances of everything playing out to where they would have gotten that week of rest highly unlikely in this way they're getting that week of rest yeah they're going to be playing a bunch of road games but it is what it is, man. There's been wild card teams that have gone. F Listen, Pittsburgh won a Super Bowl as a wild card team without playing one single home game. Remember, guys. So it's certainly possible. So it, the week's going to be good. They're going to be ready to go. Stefanski's had them ready every single week, no matter who's been in there ever since that Baltimore game, which I really think he learned from. Um, so enjoy, guys. Go into the Cincinnati game super relaxed and rested like today. The next week's game doesn't matter. If they win, cool, 12-5. and five. If they lose next week, who cares, man? 11-6, and six, the game doesn't matter anyways. They're still going to be the fifth seed. We're going to go to whoever wins the AFC South. Um, as of this recording, I'm not really sure yet. But I have, I, I, I'm feeling really pretty good about the, the first game of the playoffs against whoever's winning the AFC South. They've beaten, they, they've done well against that division this year, um, and I think that'll continue. So, go Browns. Let's do this. Cleveland Browns, all day, all night. Ever wonder if rock and roll is dead? Does the music we grew up loving align with modern sensibilities? Or should it be relegated to the dustbin of regrettable rock history? My name is Scott. And this is Rico. We are your rock and roll pathologists. Join us as we take your favorite songs and put them under the knife every week on Rock and Roll Autopsy. New episodes every Sunday at midnight wherever you stream your podcasts. The Rock and Roll Autopsy Podcast.